Hello, I'm Graham Hobson. I'm the co-founder of Photobox, and you're listening to the App Guy podcast. The App Guy podcast. Straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Welcome to another episode of the App Guy podcast. I'm your host, uh, it's Paul Kemp. Let me first thank my two wonderful sponsors who helped keep the show on the road. Uh, first is Gummy Cube. Gummy Cube is great when it comes to app store optimization. In fact, uh, if you go, you can check out, uh, they've got some great case studies on their website, uh, case studies including uh, Baller Legends, UCAM Makeup, who increased their installs uh, by over 1200%. So go to check out those case studies, go to gummycube.com, that's G-U-M-M, I-C-U-B-E, GummyCube.com. Thanks very much to GummyCube for supporting the show and to TopTal. TopTal is great when it comes to uh, the world's best developers and designers. They have the very rigorous screening process to ensure that the people that you end up uh, getting and working on your projects are literally the world's best. And I know I've seen this in action. Uh, so uh, if you can go and get a two-week trial, go to my link. Uh, it's toptal.com forward slash pool toptal.com forward slash pool and you can get an up to two week trial of access and their great developers and designers for your project work. Um, so I've got a great episode uh, today. It's been a long time coming and I'm really uh, thrilled to have a chat with um, uh, Ted Fifelski. His name is, he is the uh, founder of an app called GainPay. We're going to be talking a lot about uh, the mobile wallet space, uh, uh, Apple Pay, what they're seeing in, in the whole payment space through your smartphone. So wonderful chat. Uh, so Ted, um, thanks for coming on the App Guy podcast. Hey, Paul. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking about the GainPay app. Uh, Gain.io, of course, is your website. You know, um, the first thing is that I would love to know why you're in the space at all, because I, I guess it must be um, a lot of us are thinking, well, Apple and, and you know, Google, with Google uh, Android Pay and with uh, Apple Apple Pay, haven't they got the market tied up? So what do you see that we're not seeing? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, the reason I'm excited about the space and in the space is because, you know, financial services and commerce, mobile commerce, are, are kind of two areas that are colliding right now. And although we have the high-flying brands and names that you just mentioned, Apple Pay, Android Pay, even some of the larger banks around the world, you know, dipping their toe in the water, they, they don't approach it from uh, a way to add value they're, they're, to the consumer's experience. They're primarily looking at how do they facilitate the infrastructure to make a mobile payment happen. And so the wonderful thing about that is they have the money to lay this very expensive infrastructure, which allows companies like ours to come in and really understand what the consumer needs and wants are, and then begin to build services on top of kind of value-added services that improve the user's experience rather than just provide a, a basic vanilla, you know, tap and, and pay and you're, you're off and going. So that's really why we're in it, is to create value for the consumer in a way that we believe we, we're best to do. So what we're talking about, Ted, is, is not just the transaction itself, which is simply with Apple Pay tapping it onto the device, uh, the, the terminal, but, but something more c consumer sort of value, consumer experience. Could you expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. 
we actually leverage that same infrastructure of tap and pay. And uh, the reason we do that is because it's a standard and it allows you uh, from a consumer's perspective to start with something that's already known. And so um, the way we add value to that is we take it a step further. We really build a user experience that is, is mobile first and we focus on the needs of the consumer. In our particular case, uh, we wanted to make sure that this experience of gain pay was as, as encompassing as, as possible from a user. So um, nobody really cares about payment, to be very open. Uh, you care when you have to make a payment or someone owes you money. But other than that, you know, you can make a payment with just about anything. If you go into a shop and you say, hey, I want to I wanna give you money, they're going to find a way to take it from you. Uh, that's not an issue. What the issue is, is building an experience that includes the understanding of how mobile, how we all interact on a mobile device, as well as the real world around us. So, for instance, you know, um, one of the the big value props of mobile payments has been the idea of the inclusion of all this added information that you'll be able to do um, or have from a consumer's perspective. So. The initial concept was you'd go in, uh, you'd have uh, information about a product. It would tell you where the, you know, the store, the shop was located. It would give you a price point. It would allow you to talk to them ahead of time. It would allow you to either order ahead or show up at the store, and then simply tap your device um, and walk out with the product. Well, that really never happened. That the, the infrastructure that was laid was only the first layer, which was payment. And so what we've done is we've come in and we've added those things like, all right, well, what's the mobile experience supposed to be? Should I be able to pick up a piece of paper off the street and use that as a coupon or an offer? If I'm in Facebook and I see an ad, if I click on that ad, what happens? If I want to, if I'm an Instagram or in a, in a Reddit post and someone posts something that's interesting or shares something with me, how do I take ownership over that and use it? in my shopping, and in my consum consumer experience. And that's really what we've done. We've connected the dots. So out there in the, the world wide web, if you will, that's on mobile, everything that you see, you should be able to interact with in a meaningful way, not just on the mobile device, but it should have an impact in the real world around you, the shops that you're in, uh, you know, the transit systems, the, uh, the friends that you have. Everything should be connected and it should be uh, value add that you get to choose on how you use it and that's really what we've done we we have a saying at, at gain pay that says make it easy to see collect and redeem what that means is if you're on a mobile device and you see something you should be able to collect it once you've collected it you should be able to redeem it with that same mobile device and that's that's kind of what we've done and that all puts the payment in the background it's, it buries the payment into the experience rather than having the experience be the payment. And that's a really important aspect. Yeah, because I would love to ask you what the, uh, I mean, this is relevant for many of the apps to drive listening to this who are also in the mobile payments. And I, I wonder what you think the biggest challenge is for you to dominate in this space. Uh, what I'm guessing is it's the friction of people signing up initially. Is that a big challenge or, or can you overcome that hurdle? Well, Paul, certainly that's always a challenge for every you know every new company. Uh, there's there's billions of dollars a year spent on 
trying to get people, consumers like you and I, to download this app versus that app. It's uh, or this app game versus that app game. So certainly that is, you know, obviously a hurdle that exists. But the good thing is it exists for everybody. And so it for us, I think it's it's more important for us to have a very uh, concise and clear value prop that we can then present. What we've found so far is our adoption rate is quite good. For very little advertising, we've we've had uh, probably a three x um, download rate over traditional apps, which for us is is very good because we believe once we begin to hone that message and find kind of find the right cadence for messaging the market, it will get better. And obviously, you can spend your way into it, but the the goal is to to kind of find your early areas where we, where you can win uh, with consumer adoption, make a great experience so they want to share it and tell people about it, and then go from there. See what's working and see what's not working, and iterate as quickly as possible. And you know, thankfully for us, you know, our product and our team are are, are experts in not only mobile but but financial services solutions as well. So we're able to do that where many of the other people in this particular space um, aren't quite able to do the same things. Yeah, and just talking about your team, we have to shout out to uh, Seth Lowry, who uh, ended up uh, putting us in touch. And I would love to touch on uh, the, you, you mentioned advertising as well. I know you've had some phenomenal success with with advertising. It's one of the biggest struggles that the community have here with regards to getting their apps out there in the wild and being used. Are you able to talk to some of those ads that you've run? I know that you've, for example, been doing some really awesome stuff with Snapchat through Seth, uh, and you talked about 3Xing uh, on traditional apps. Uh, are you able to expand on that, Ted, to give us a, an insight and maybe we could learn from you? Sure. So so right now we're, we're in what we would classically call open beta. So we allow people to come on, but really we're trying to message heavily, hey, Help us improve the user experience. Um, help us define what that core message is that, that we believe our, our target audience will resonate you know, to and with. And so what we've done early days is try everything and try it fast. So we, we advertised, I wouldn't call it paid advertising, but we've tried to do um, you know, very, very low budget or no budget advertising on messaging platforms like Kik and Telegram. Um, with Snapchat, we've we've obviously used their filters to promote our our brand at certain venues or certain events, uh, and we've had great success with that. For instance, we you know we kind of stumbled upon a sporting event that no one was covering, and we bought a filter for I think twenty five dollars US, and uh, it gave us uh, seventy five thousand impressions and um, I'm trying to recall the exact number somewhere around. Uh, 2,700 um, interactions or engagements, right? So for us, for $25, that was that was a really, really cheap way to target our, our core audience and at least get our brand out there. And what we saw, obviously, was after that, we saw uh, an uptick in website visits by about 2x. Um, and we saw an increase in downloads by about 50%. So... Was it successful? We believe that was the catalyst for for those you know tracking events to take place, and um, I mean that was that was pretty good. So that was one example of, of just. Yeah, tra- I'd love to jump things. in here, Ted, because I have a thought, and I'm sure that this is going to be a, like a golden nugget for those listening, which is that 
when people find you through your brand, because app discovery is one of the biggest hurdles, challenges. Definitely, you go through all my different episodes. That's the founders have said app discovery. But what you're saying is branding is really important because then people will go and search the app stores for your unique sounding app and they'll download you from there. And I'm guessing that's really wonderful from a search perspective, a discovery perspective as well. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, we before we picked the name Gain, um, and, and we ultimately added Gain uh, the the word Pay to it. Um, we had a lot of names on the board, and this one was the one that resonated most with most with what we wanted to create and what we were creating. Uh, and I think we just kind of got, I want to say, lucky that it hadn't been taken, and it was short enough, and it was memorable enough. But it's absolutely want something that you have to be aware of. Is it easy to find? Is it memorable? Uh, it's getting harder and harder to do that, you know, as domain names are scooped up, you know, just for squatting rights. I mean, these days, there's very few things left. Um, but making sure that the branding, not only the name, but the ideas, the concepts, uh, the imagery that you use is memorable. Um, and I think today, Things have to be quick to understand, image-based or video-based, and um, fairly witty, right, to capture people's attention. So that's what we've tried to focus on. Yeah, and also you mentioned open beta, and I'm sure that you know we can learn a lot from uh, founders like yourself. I mean, there is a temptation just to get an app done out there, put it on the app store, um, but Talk us through then what an open beta is for you and how you actually go through that process um, because I'm sure we can learn a lot from you. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously since we're in the kind of financial space, uh, our, our product relies on a, a financial tool, an instrument, a payment form. Um, it's important to always know how secure your app is. Uh, and so when we talk about open beta, we're really talking about we know that we have all those necessary security requirements locked in but what we don't necessarily know is what is the best user experience for a user um, that that kind of wrapped up around those you know secured financial instruments and um, the way we approach it is let's set some goals where we feel that we'll get reasonable uh, feedback in a you know in a measurable amount of you know, way to then say, okay, we've nailed this aspect of it and um, we can kind of begin to focus on the other aspects of the app. For instance, the onboarding portion is a critical component of any mobile application. Not only do you want them to download it, but you want them to get past the onboarding screen, right? Which oftentimes requires some sort of, you know, ID verification in some cases or sign up or, you know, um, I don't know, uh, username, depending on if it's a game or something. And um, so you're always asking them to do something, take certain action. For us, again, because it's a financial services app, we always have to be cognizant of you know, who the individual is, what, what components of the app they're, they're accessing or have access to, and, and how much information is uh, legally required to have uh, for that user to, for them to access those particular types of services. So the onboarding experience for us is something that's very critical. 
um, to to kind of put into that beta aspect and focus on initially, because once you get past that, you're then able to you know broaden the app, expand the app, focus the uh, the the different user elements of the app to really improve the user experience. And I would say for a lot of beta apps out there, you want to have it anywhere between you know one to three months for your first beta rev. And depending on how uh, critical the data is that you have in your app, keep it in beta for up to six months if you're able to do that. Now, that might sound hard, but again, in the financial space, it's very critical that we understand every aspect of our app from a security perspective and leaving it a little bit longer gestation period allows us to really you know, be certain that our app is secure and being presented in the, uh, the best possible manner. And Ted, uh, we're going to get into uh, the fintech space, talking about that, also like your journey uh, with GainPay and how you got it off the ground. Uh, but before we do, I just want to take a moment to jump in and, and thank the, the sponsors because, uh, I mean, these guys are, are keeping the, the show going. Uh, I think you mentioned in the pre-chat that you've heard of them and they're great companies, so that, that's good to hear. Um, yeah, because you've heard of Gummy Cube, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so Gummy Cube, I mean, they're the company I recommend for app store optimization. They've been going for years. Dave Bell originally came on the podcast a few years ago, loved it and decided to sponsor it from that point. And what they do is they're using the what they call Data Cube to collect the data from the app stores for their app store optimization. So it's not using web data, which is actually you know a poor way of going about your keyword research uh, because the way we behave on web websites is different to the way we behave on uh, the app store uh, and so um, you know there are some great case studies there at uh, gummy cube i highly recommend uh, everyone go along and uh, check it out and you can read some of these wonderful case studies about how they've been able to improve uh, results and we were just talking about app discovery so this is one solution um, it's gummycube.com that's g-u-m-m-i-c-u-b-e gummycube.com Thanks to Dave Bell, the team there at Gummy Cube. And, um, and finally, um, TopTal. Uh, I don't know if you've used TopTal in the past or how you've come across them. Uh, is it, have you come across them at all, Ted? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, they're, they're a pretty good place to get talent. Um, one of the hardest things in any startup, and, and I would classify us as a startup, is finding talent quickly and being able to rely on it. So uh, TopTal is one of those companies that really helps streamline the process we've found. Uh, we haven't used them for all of our hires, but we've definitely used them for some. So I like them. Uh, well, that's uh, that's really cool. And uh, actually, we've had the, the founder CEO on here as well in a past episode, uh, which uh, was definitely worth a listen. Uh, I was um, listening to a guy called uh, Sharik Minas, who's uh, the co-founder of Stayful, and he was talking about his experience with TopTal. And he was able to, you know, he'd had some bad experiences with third-party platforms before where you go and get connected with some kind of random developer, rely on the reviews uh, that don't tend to uh, be truthful because a lot of those are agencies and, and was having like a really bad uh, sort of experience and then found Brendan, had a chat with him, joined TopTal. They provided him with a wonderful developer who managed to get their uh, product launched um, before a, a big event. Uh, and that propelled uh, the company and really saved the company and he, and he actually puts a lot of the uh, benefit of, of that and there's the reason for the success to TopTal. So um, for all of you listening who need um, TopTal, 
um, if you want to get a, a greater deal, then go to um, my link. It's um, toptal.com forward slash Paul, P-A-U-L, all lowercase, toptal.com forward slash Paul. And then you can, uh, or I could actually make an introduction for you, if you like, to my insiders. Uh, they'll look after you and they will help you uh, get connected with a world-class developer for your projects. And you'll get an up to two week uh, trial uh, with them as well. Uh, and if you're not happy, they they basically pay the developer and refund you your initial $500 that you have to pay. So yeah, toptal.com forward slash Paul. Great. Thanks for um, for, for that, Ted. So uh, well, there was um, some things I wanted to kind of touch on. One is uh, the fintech space. It's just so exciting that, I mean, we've had a lot of different episodes about fintech. I think one of the things that scares a lot of us, though, is the, the amount of regulation in finance and whether it, it's kind of a bit of a, a minefield there with um, red tape how have you found the whole process of the regulation and, and making sure that you're on board with uh, all the requirements so obviously in the financial space regulation is a very big part of why the industry is secure and exists today um, it's tough you know it is as a developer, as a startup, as an innovator, you want to really push the envelope with just about everything you're doing. And when it comes to financial services, it's very important to kind of step back and remind yourself that you're providing something that, it, one, is regulated, two, can, can easily be used for fraudulent activities, you know, that's not obviously your goal and you protect against that, but you know, that's why there's the regulation. Um, and every, anytime you're dealing with money, you, you run the risk of, you know, funding negative, you know, negative stuff. So from our perspective, we really took it very seriously. You know, obviously there's been a lot of news of late around, you know, obviously Uber and Airbnb are probably two of the biggest names, not necessarily specifically in the financial space, but dealing with regulations issues of their own. And, um, and so we really tried to find some good partners to not only help us through uh, that process, but um, you know, help us understand it from perhaps the what you classically call old stodgy bank, right? <laughs> um, uh, we we wanted to try to understand why they were saying you can't do this or you can't do that or you have to do it this way. And at the end of the day, we said, you know what, let's stay on sides here. Let's push the envelope where we can. Let's build a strong relationship, which is very important in the financial space, is to build that trust relationship with your partners. Um, and from that moment, uh, things got a lot easier for us, not only because our mindset changed a little bit from let's just do anything we want because we can build it to let's do it the, you know, let's do it the right way. Let's meet them. Let's try to meet them in the middle or halfway or, you know, let's have some give and take here. And so that was one of the most frustrating parts of being in the financial you know, sector or space when you're trying to innovate is it's just very regulated and it's very hard. Uh, so you have to kind of take it for what it's worth. They're they're trying to do it, you know, um, to protect the the integrity of the financial systems, rather than, um, you know, doing it in, just because they can or because they want to. 
you know, Ted, I mean, the, the reason why I do this podcast is it is so exciting that, that, you know, there's nothing that can be disrupted. And we've seen like years and years ago since the music industry was disrupted, like there's there's an impact now on films. You know, we're seeing it in all these different industries, industries we thought were protected like finance now suddenly you know new innovations like bitcoin and all these other things that are just i'm sure scaring the hell out of all these different uh <laughs> to, to 500 year i mean I, I was working in london in finance and believe me there's like you know hundreds of years old merchant banks that uh, wouldn't, wouldn't wouldn't even know what an iphone is so um like it, it must be really frustrating if you're trying to disrupt and and innovate and you think we're working in this space that nobody like is too focused on, I guess, in finance, and then suddenly, so so what I'm learning from you then is the partnerships that you create uh, actually are valuable to then you being able to do what you want to do. Absolutely, in the financial space, it's it's almost a competitive advantage uh, to have a strong relationship with a good partner because they'll go to bat for you. You know, they'll protect you in a lot of ways, and they'll they'll say, hey, look, you know, my balance sheet is is okay with them taking this risk because I trust them. Um, and that really allows you to create the type of services and experiences that you're you're looking to introduce and to kind of, as you said, disrupt the space. But if you don't, if you try to go rogue or or be a maverick, uh, you oftentimes find yourself, uh, at least in today's climate, in in over your head. You'll start to get slapped with sanctions, or you'll start to uh, get very bad press, and then you know. No one wants to work with you anymore. So it, you really have to be aware of what you're doing and, and use those partnerships not as a hindrance but as a, uh, as a way to improve your standing within the overall market. Well, well, Ted, let's help some people out because I'm pretty sure that we've got uh, like the sort of example of someone listening, which is a startup founder, maybe they've got a team of one to five people, maybe they're funding the whole thing themselves through their credit card or their own savings. And it must be like hard because if you come up with like a great idea, like GainPay, for example, uh, is it tempting to uh, keep that to yourself, the, the, the what you're trying to do? Or uh, would you advise getting out there as much as possible, talking about your idea openly without any non-disclosure agreements and, and just trying to figure out who the best partners are, knowing that they actually may just steal your idea uh, because you, you have no, um, you know, you have no huge financial resources to protect yourself. Yeah. Well, so the best thing is uh, about this particular space is banks and the financial industry by and large is risk averse. So you're not going to find a lot of competition to your ideas. What you'll find is someone saying, I love it while they're, you know, while they're at their, their day job, their desk. And as soon as you know, the whistle goes off and they're, um, they're off the clock, that idea of yours stays at work. You know, the, the nice thing for an individual in the space that's trying to do other things, it's always on your mind. You're always working on it. You're always trying to improve and enhance and, and push it forward. And so you're working um, mentally, you're working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They're punching a time clock oftentimes and then uh, you know sh- shelving those ideas. And so what that means is, you're able to move a heck of a lot faster and execute a heck of a lot 
um, more realistically on your goal and on your vision because you're going to have to use the financial systems that exist out there. It's just the way it works. If you look at Bitcoin, you'll see almost every single one of the Bitcoin related organizations has shifted back towards uh, some form of regulation. Whether they want to be a hub, whether the, they want to have a currency that works uh, more ubiquitously at the point of sale or at the point of purchase, they find that because it's a regulated industry, you're always going to have to have someone holding the door open for you or it won't be scalable. And because of that, go out there, talk about your ideas, get excited about them, build, show, and, and then try to find partners that can help help you build a stronger product, a more scalable product. Because the worst thing to have in the financial services is a super great product and no distribution. Because it's all about, you know, cents. It's all about fractions of pennies. It's all about, uh, you know, making in the core space, uh, making dimes, not $100 bills. Um, and so it's about volume oftentimes. Uh, so it's important to find those partners, talk about your ideas, and not be afraid that they're going to steal them because the reality is they're not going to. If they could, they would. And we just haven't seen that happen. Yeah, of course, because when I was in financial services, I, I was in asset management. And it, believe me, it wasn't about the dime or the percentage. You, you get a percentage of the, manage, the money you manage. And some of the organizations, you know, had like a trillion dollars. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> big, big, uh, big, big um, payouts. Uh, so, uh, um, and finally, before we say goodbye to you, Ted, there is one more thing, which is that uh, this show does inspire those who go to university, go to college, uh, want to try and get into startups, work on their own, life of freedom. I'd love to know about you. What attracted you to doing your own thing? Um, would you recommend it to those who are perhaps on the fence uh, and worried about what life would be like uh, doing their own thing? So, you know, how I came to this was I always knew, you know, even in in grade school and high school and university, I always knew where my passions lied and I wasn't afraid to pursue them. I have a very high tolerance for risk and that's probably a bad thing if you ask my wife, but... Uh, I, I just always did, and I think I got it from my parents and my relatives who are all entrepreneurs themselves. But for those who are considering it or have an idea they want to pursue, I would, I would sit down, write down on a piece of paper all the reasons why you want to do it and, if the, and, and rank them. And if the top reasons are you want to be famous or you want to be successful or you want to make a lot of money, then I would put it on the shelf for a little while because – this is not the best way to do those things. This is the best way to pursue uh, a dream or a passion of yours, to fulfill or create a product that you feel you know that you believe needs to be in the market, um, to help people, and to you know build a, a long-lasting business. I would definitely not look at it and say, "Man, I I want to be Mark Zuckerberg," or "I want to be you know Bill Gates." It's just. That's not that happens. Obviously, those are examples of it happening, but um, that's a very unique circumstance, and you have to understand the risks. You're you're risking an awful lot. Um, 
So before well, well, how many people are on this planet? It must be what six billion or so, uh, and there's one Mark Zuckerberg. And, and how many times has Facebook been repeated? So uh, what's the chances? Uh, and you know, uh, this is a real passion of mine because it's the reason I do the podcast is to try to overcome this uh, perception that it is easy. And, you know, there are, uh, I was just having a chat actually with some other guy, uh, a founder, and there are uh, press that, that get 500, 300 to 500 emails a day from uh, startups, all claiming success. And they cherry pick um, you know, once in a blue moon, they cherry pick one story. And so there are tens of thousands of stories that go unheard. And all those always, always are the ones that are the this, this sort of rags to riches success stories, the things that ha- seem to happen overnight. And th- there's never really a sense of the genuineness about the struggle and the hustle and the, the hard work it takes. Uh, I'm just so glad that you're reflecting that here now. Absolutely. And so just to wrap that particular point up is if it's a passion of yours follow it if it's a passion to be rich and famous and have a lot of money it's go play the lotto because you have better chances at the lotto um so i don't know maybe that's bad (laughs) i I shouldn't say that i never actually play it (laughs) i don't either i don't like the lotto Ted, it's wonderful. There are going to be full show notes. Uh, go to uh, episode 506 of the theappguy.co and have a look at those. Uh, but in the meantime, Ted, how best can people reach out and connect with you and, and gain pay? What's the, the best way of getting in touch? Well, if they want to reach out and talk to me specifically, you can um, you can find me at ted at uh, io. Uh, that's my email. So send me as much spam as you want. I'll just throw it in my delete box. Um, but if you want to talk to me, go ahead and send me a note there. You can also find me at, at Twitter, and you can find GainPay on all the social platforms, including Snapchat, um, Twitter, and then obviously come download the app, try it out. Uh, give me your honest feedback. Maybe it sucks for you. I, I want to know. That's why we're in open beta right now is to test those things out. So you can find it on uh, the App Store at GainPay. Just search that. Or you can find it on Android, Play Store, same thing, Game Pay. So great. Well, we have early adopters listening to this. So Ted, wonderful journey going through Game Pay. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, actually a shout out Seth, Seth again for setting this up, uh, and thanks for putting up with some of the technicalities we had <laughs> to start with. But you, you have persevered. <laughs> I look forward to hearing it, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon, Paul. So my biggest challenge with this podcast is getting it listened to by as many people as possible and you can help. I really need your help. Please leave me a five-star review in iTunes. If you can, then uh, that helps uh, me climb the charts in iTunes and then uh, it reaches a broader audience. And so if you love this podcast and you've listened to some episodes now, uh, don't delay. I do need your help. You listening right now, uh, it not, it's not a case where you think other people will do this and you don't have to bother. Do something uh, to help me out and uh, leave a five-star review and I will be internally uh, grateful and thank you because then I can reach a broader audience and uh, get the content out there to help more people. So uh, go to iTunes uh, in your podcasting app or open iTunes in your desktop and just go ahead and leave a review for me. Thank you.